0: Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 561 on Tuesday the 16th of January 2024. Hello, I'm Alan.
1: Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be talking about marking one's own work. In new new car news, we sternly peer over the top of our glasses as you snigger at one brand's name. And in points of interest, we glimpse one man's vision of our dystopian future. But first into some follow-up and this is to do with the zero emission vehicle mandate which we have talked about so much in the feels like the last six months first of all it was does anyone know what it's going to be then it was can you please tell us what it's going to be and then it's been oh it's in oh here it is what is it this is all to do with an article in autocar which will be linked in the show notes as ever that is titled, car Makers Successfully Argued Against Small EV Incentives. Now, that's quite a catchy title. Can I just say, that is Inventives for Small EVs, but not Small
0: Incentives for EVs. Yes.
1: And this was all to do with, apparently, car makers pushing back against the idea that there should be incentives for smaller, lighter, and more efficient electric cars, as well as ones that had longer ranges. This was pushed back by car manufacturers in documents that have been seen. There will also be linked in the show notes a Guardian article which talks about other aspects of how the car manufacturers wanted to approach the zero emission vehicle mandate. Some wanted to push back the timescales, others wanted to remove it completely. Some wanted to make it even stricter and more intensive and then there was others that went no it's fine as it is you have got the full range of everybody's opinions
0: the thing is you can pretty much put names to the car
1: makers in each of those boxes can't you and why well yeah tesla obviously wanted it to be held back
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 clearly because then their main business
1: of selling ev credits that is just really not a good look um, especially in the week following, oh, government should give money so private buyers can go out and buy these cars. Yeah, And yet, the industry did things to not allow for more affordable vehicles, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Not a good look. PR-wise, optics, poor. <laughs> yes. Speaking of poor optics... <laughs> Uh, Let's go to Wales,
0: where BBC article linked in the show notes uh, is pointing out that the Wales 20 mile an hour speed limit advisor is to lead the review. Well done, the Welsh government in one of the finest pieces of public marking your own work uh, that we've seen for a long time. Phil Jones, who chaired the Welsh 20 mile an hour task force group, he is now in charge of checking how well the 20 mile an hour speed limit has been carried out. He he must obviously be an incredibly independent voice and has absolutely no skin in the game around his personal reputation uh, whatsoever in doing this. No, no. Jolly good.
1: Well, I'm going to look forward to seeing that if there is any negatives that come out in the review, how specific politicians will be named and it'll be along the lines of they did not follow the guidance that was provided to them.
0: Yes, that's what it will all be. Uh, (laughs) Anything that comes out, there will be nothing wrong with the guidance for the implementation. I can't believe that, but it will all be about, yes, but it was, did people misunderstood what we said? Yes, it was implemented incorrectly, which I can believe as well, by the way, but I'll bet you it won't have been implemented incorrectly in all of the cases that they that, that brought out. No. Call me Captain Cynical. Captain Cynical. I have worked on implementation projects. I know how this goes. It's, yeah, this is, this is really bad, actually. Yeah. It's it's just, just a bit grim. It's poor. Get poor someone room. else to do it even if you got an outside consultancy to do it, to be honest, even if it was on the big five, it would still be, at least it would be sort of disguising the inbreeding of ideas. Mm.
1: Yep. I'm going to take us to the Red Sea, well, sort of. And this is the news that Tesla and Volvo are going to pause uh, car production because there are delays in certain parts arriving at their factories in Europe. This is all connected to, obviously, the, attacks that are happening in the red sea on cargo ships and how some some shipping companies are continuing to go through there and and others and more and more are deciding that they're going to go around the cape of good hope instead is obviously adds delays and costs mm-hmm. to an already pressurized industry or part of the supply chain for car makers because shipping costs are going up and up yeah. partly due To a real pinch on the number of containers that are available and therefore the costs are going up because it's a seller's market as it were rather than the buyers and this is just hitting car manufacturers even more on top of energy prices, increasing wages, all these other things that are coming in at the same time. Once again I I wheel out my I'm glad I'm not a car maker (laughs) Line because it is such a complicated beast to look after.
0: There's a case of I'm glad I'm not making anything that's kind of bulkyish, mm. to be honest. Because yes, I mean it's been bad enough over the last couple of years with all the containers ending up in all the wrong places uh, as a result of COVID mm. uh, and getting trapped in places. Uh, and I've just about got that sorted out. And then we don't even mention the ever given. And then this next, this next thing. And this isn't just, this isn't just car stuff. When you read articles on who's most affected by this you see it's its companies that that haven't for whatever reasons could well be because they're owned by a chinese company volvo that haven't shortened their supply chains i think i think fewer are affected by this now than would have been say 3 years ago mm-hmm. because there has been you know between that and the, the, the trouble with chip manufacture in japan and stuff then people have been moving to sh- to physically shorten their supply chains Buy more stuff and have uh, more a divestment of supply chain so they don't have to rely on someone in Korea someone in China they're maybe you know buying from they have a, a backup European source that they can run for a little while might be more expensive
1: but it'll be no but that's basics of purchasing and supply chain 101 isn't it it's that you, I mean, you, you do not, not, but, but, yeah first. I know I, I know and this is where we again we can point out the the silliness in business decisions that the car industry and other industries, it's not just them, and under the other industries have made, and how that's come home to roost when it comes to supply chain security.
0: And let's make it clear, that's over 20, 30 years. Yeah. And successive generations of management, that is not down to, to current management, really. They're having to drag everything back in, yeah. in most cases.
1: Yeah. On top of this, and it's it's not in this article that is linked in the show notes, but on top of this is the news that BYD have bought their own ship hmm. for transporting vehicles to Europe and uh, I presume they want to get into America as well.
0: I imagine, but I would also imagine that they wouldn't come via the Suez Canal to get from China to America. No, no. <laughs> we don't often use Marine Link as a source, no. but that was a really good story, actually. it's It's actually interesting. Anyway, because it's not really, a, it's not a, a an automotive-specific story. It is, it is quite an interesting article. Um, and I would recommend you click on that one,
1: mm-hmm. bizarrely enough,
0: because it's such an unusual source and widening of horizons.
1: Yeah. Do you want to take
0: us to Munich, though? BMW and Munich factory, they have said, essentially, to paraphrase, when they stop making total combustion engine vehicles in Munich, uh, they'll make EVs instead. <laughs> Seems like a statement of the bleeding obvious, as far as I'm concerned. The iconic factory will close its doors to combustion car production from the end of 2027, says Matt Bird on Piston Heads, although Matt Bird does not speak like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Matt. <laughs> the idea is it's going to build the new class saloon, so that was th- the one that looks a bit like an E30 3-series um, from days of old. A bit,
1: I said. Yeah, if you don't open um, your eyes and look at the pictures and the, <laughs> the images. <laughs> which I quite
0: liked, but Mr. Clues did not, as you might have guessed. Whenever they, they put that into, into production, that will happen in Munich, and that's expected from the start of 2027. Uh, obviously, there's accompanying overhauls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Munich will be made into a, an I factory. There's a, as the line here says, Munich will be made into a so called I factory because nothing associated to EVs can possibly escape a lowercase i and too many capital letters. <laughs> and that'll happen at the same time as regular production as, as well. Yes. Oh, oh! if you're wondering what an iFactory is, a key part of it is a comprehensive digitalization with a holistic approach to the interaction between people, processes, and systems, uh, if that clears it up in any way, shape, or form. But I would kind of hope that most car factories already have an interaction between people, processes, and systems. Yeah, I'm, I would say that because that's my day job.
1: Yeah, I was definitely thinking along the lines of how there is another large German company who we have repeatedly said recently what have you been doing otherwise? Uh, and it feels that's very apt if this is the... Mm. Yes. <laughs> if, this, if this is actually what they're having to do, rather than it's just some blurb to fill uh, the blurb piece of the PR. It's some PR blurb. We all know that. And we all know that PMW actually do know how to put stuff together. This is just what they're doing in Oxford with the mini factory. Um, they're just announcing that they're doing it in Munich. They're so. just
0: refurbing it and... Making it easier for people to build stuff. That's all they're doing. That's all of that stuff. All of that stuff. The the outcome of all those words is we want to make it a bit easier and more efficient to build stuff.
1: Okay. London next. Yes. Well, not quickly, apparently. According to Tom Tom. And this is the news that they have released the chart of which are the slowest cities in the world to drive in. And London, for the second year on the trot, takes number one spot in being the slowest. Now, they said that to do a journey of 6.2 miles in central London took an average of 37 minutes and 20 seconds in 2023. Hmm. It has to be very central London. Yes. I have not read Tom Tom's actual press release or their study on it, so I don't know the full methodology. But TFL, the Transport for London, are incredibly miffed at this and say that it is misleading. They said that they had uh, picked a tiny portion of the city, of the city centre, and not the whole of London, but yet made this statement as though it's the whole of London. Interesting stand from the organisation that likes to misuse data and information to make a point. <laughs> yes, yes. They maybe have a reputation for
0: cherry picking data themselves. Yes. Perhaps.
1: However, as we said, with the 20 mile an hour speed reduction that The Welsh government so proudly trumpeted a week after. Are those the ones that also cherry-picked the data? Yes. Yes. If it is incorrect and invalid and it is not applicable to the statement you are trying to make, that is wrong. But like I say, I have not read the TomTom thing, so I don't know whether that's TFL just shouting fake news or whether it's real.
0: I imagine reality is somewhere in between. Yeah. I like that they're described as a location technology company TomTom, which does actually describe what they do. I think it's a nice move on from because it just used to be sat nav company TomTom, tom. Mm. whereas nowadays they do. They, they've really branched and expanded into all of the background stuff quite nicely. Well done, tom,
1: tom Yeah, they have managed to keep themselves very relevant. Do you want to take us to Vietnam? Vietnam,
0: yes. If if you happen to have the chance to drive a vehicle from Vietnam's first major automaker, which I think is quite a generous statement, VinFast then uh, do be careful about uh, your criticism, it seems. Uh, they don't take to it very, very well.
1: Not in Vietnam itself, no. Not
0: in Vietnam. Well, they didn't take to it very well from in, <laughs> in America either. So Sonny Tran is a 37-year-old Vietnamese social media personality, according to James Gilboy on The Drive, uh, who's built a, f- built a following for his post commentating on VinFast. You can see where this is going, can't you? A prolific poster until December in lots of uh, Vietnamese language business groups. Questions included questioning the financial integrity of the venture, uh, sales numbers, whether or not stuff was actually designed by Pininfarina, or if it was done, or if the majority of the design work was done somewhere else. Uh, Not alone in these, by the way, not alone in these. As a result, or possibly completely unconnected, (laughs) but probably as a result, of these, he has been repeatedly detained by police in Ho Chi Minh City, being interrogated uh, over these. He's had his electronic devices seized, uh, data copied. This all happens under the Vietnamese criminal code, which reportedly forbids harming the interests of others. So from the individual to the state and everything in between. And that apparently includes VinFast. Mm-hmm. Not a good look, uh, VinFast. But then VinFast doesn't really have a very good look anyway. It would seem to be, say, a little bit uh, a little bit troubled. I, I heard that the some of them have actually been sold in North America now, right. and that some people have bought them, and that they're not as quite as buggy and poorly built as some of the original press cars were on that drive in Vietnam, where it didn't go great.
1: To be honest, it could only get better from
0: that. Well, yes, it would be hard for it to be much, much worse. Mm. Yeah. Have they announced any European ambitions?
1: They probably have. Uh, I don't know if happened as a result. They've announced the ambitions, but I, I think something was mentioned yes. with the reveal of their pickup. Mm,
0: that would make sense because it was also unveiled at CES because that's, the world's big motor show now
1: No, because uh, Detroit's going to go back to January did you see that uh, yes I did which seems a brave move as someone who has to go there next week shut up <laughs> <laughs> okay then so before dropping you in it further I will take us to Sainsbury's and this is the news that they are going to be the first supermarket in the UK to introduce their own electric charging brand Smart Charge is set to introduce 750 rapid chargers across more than 100 stores By the end of this year, 2024, they undertook some customer research, which seems a wise move before you do something like this. And again, I've not seen the survey, so I don't know what the questions were, but they surveyed 500 uh, EV drivers and asked a number of questions and they got answers along the lines of uh, 94% said that they would prefer to use a single trusted and reliable charging brand. Sensible. I totally get that because... Well, I mean, was one of those things that new people say, oh, do I have to log into this app, that app, the other app? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what uh, ZapMap and others are trying to do, or ZapPay, I think is the actual... Well,
0: it's trying to be that harmonizing yeah. harmonising force, really, isn't it? Yes, it is.
1: They are going to charge a flat rate of 75p per
0: kilowatt per hour. That sounds expensive, and I think it is actually a bit expensive, but I think the thing that really pees people off is having the, the initial 299 or whatever it is this week. Of uh, sort of initial fee to start the charge, About twenty quid. That's some take. Well, yeah, well, that's how much they reserve mm. on your card. Mm. But the actual fee of like two ninety nine plus whatever, which disguises it. This case, it's you don't do that. It's seventy five p per kilowatt hour. So you plug in for ten minutes, and then you you're paying your seventy five p per kilowatt hour. However quickly you're getting that, yeah. And then you can unplug, and you don't feel oh well, I paid a joining fee. You know my start charge starting fee. Yeah,
1: because you, you don't um, pay that so do particular petrol, hey, that, do you? I mean, that's all built. No, in. No, exactly.
0: Oh, God, don't give them ideas. Not even in America do you have to pay an initial fee to start pumping the pump. I mean, if that was in any way vaguely workable, they would have done it
1: already. (laughs) But charging-wise, what they're going to put is they're going to be installing 150 kilowatt chargers, and that'll get most EVs, according to this article, between 10 and 80% in around half an hour. There will also be the faster 300 kilowatt chargers. Vehicles like the Porsche Taycan, the Kia EV6 will also be able to take advantage of those. I like that they asked people what they really wanted and they have released some of that information. I find that interesting.
0: I think people are going to shout and scream about the cost of the charging, Mm. but if you're on a journey... It's not I I need though, to stop. <laughs> well, no, exactly. And you need to stop, then it'll be countrywide, it'll be all sorts of stuff like that. I, I think that this, this has a strong chance of being a winner. Mm. The thing that's most likely to trip it up is Sainsbury's themselves.
1: Anyway, do you want to take us to France? But what appears on the surface at the moment, um, quite a good idea.
0: This is a really interesting one. Uh, stories on carscoops.com. One of the things about carscoops.com is they very rarely seem to have car scoops, but. <laughs> I hadn't seen this one anywhere else. France is bringing EVs to low-income homes with monthly leases from €54. It's €54 per month without a down payment over three years, provided you live in France and you meet certain eligibility requirements. This isn't available for everyone. The idea is it's aimed at low-income families, and they're calling this social leasing. The example that was just given there for the €54 a month was the EC3. So I had to make sure I got all the letters in the right order there. As I say, three-year contract, no down payment available there. And EC3 gives you up to 320 kilometers. That's about 200 miles, probably a little less. It's a 113 horsepower and a 44 kilowatt-hour battery. So enough for pottering, getting around the place, going to and from work, all these kind of things. Probably for much of the much of the week. A number of Stellantis brands qualify and funnily enough it is solantis brands which is science of course mostly a french company mm. Mm. i'm not using the word protectionism but hey you might if you want but that varies from so it's from the the ec3 is at the cheapest end it goes up through the 500e e208 opel corsa mocha up to a peugeot e2008 for 149 euros a month some of the prices specifically the opals And some of the bigger Citrons uh, include the cost of a home charger, but not the installation fee. So that would be your upfront cost. Mm. A really interesting idea and an interesting way of making small, more compact EVs affordable to people who otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to afford them.
1: Yeah. I mean, whereas last week I got grumpy about the call to subsidize relatively well-off people's and to well-off people's purchases of electric vehicles this is the complete opposite and this is something i can get completely behind because this is helping those at the other end of society who are struggling Mm. to get around who this would possibly make the world of difference to their lives the one thing to mention is that the qualifications that limits are quite
0: tight to qualify you must be a resident of france have an annual income of up to 15,400 euros, travel more than more than 8,000 kilometers, that's just under 5,000 miles per year, and live at least 15 kilometers or nine miles away from your workplace. Don't earn much money. You travel quite a lot and you live a bit of a distance away from work. You also have the option to purchase the EV at the end of the lease, and the contract covers insurance, making it Possible for cancellation in the event of death, disability, or unemployment. So it really is a mobility thing. This I can see in rural France. Mm, That's what I was thinking. uh, Far more than in the city. If you you live on the edges of Paris, you're unlikely to qualify for this on many levels. But if you live in more rural France, uh, French are very good at building factories in the middle of weird places.
1: Well, they're going to be in, in northern France, aren't they, with all the battery factories
0: yes well exactly but and other stuff like sort of driving along through fields 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 oh there's a mccain's chips factory
1: bringing the field to the factory
0: <laughs> anyone who's driven south from epernay in champagne heading south and heading out towards the otter it will understand what i mean there's lots of that kind of thing i can see that in rural france this is this is a good this is a darn good idea yeah for those of you who like older cars it is probably going to take quite a lot of some wonky wheeled 206s and, and 106s off the road uh, and renault clios that sort of crab sideways white renault clios that crab sideways along the road um so you know you may be wanting to try and scoop up some of those uh, when everybody's trade trading them in for their ec3s that takes us to guilt minute quick break in the show eventually takes us to get a minute quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running if you feel like the Motoring Podcast worth a small consideration every month then you can become a patron different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you including being able to watch the show recorded live Plus, have a small range of merchandise in a spring store from stickers to monks and t-shirts if you don't have any spare cash we do completely understand then you can help us by following for free from our podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of us do, so thank you very much. the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you everyone who does. Absolutely, and also to new patrons as well. Okay, there is some new new car news that hasn't come out of CES. Andrew, uh, whilst I take a drink of coffee, uh, do you want to cover this first story here? Okay. (laughs)
1: This is the news that Toyota are uprating and refreshing the GR Yaris that's been out for four years. which
0: I Only needed to build 25,000 of the things, and they did that years ago.
1: Yeah. And it's going to, in Japan anyway come with 300 brake horsepower that will be down for us in Europe and the UK of 276 because of stricter emission regulations apparently and it's going to have a new auto gearbox it's going to be available with it you don't have to have the auto box okay apologies also they've fiddled with the oily bits underneath as well to make it stiffer including how they've put it together there's a lot of talk in this car throttle article about how they have changed how it's screwed together and welded together to make it stiffer because that was one of the, the some of the feedback they've got off customers and through their own testing it's going to be twenty four percent increase in the amount of area where structural adhesive has been used and the spot welding has been increased by thirteen percent this is the sort of information we gained on this this is proper this is proper car nerdy article this I love it
0: <laughs> but the whole car is car nerdy absolutely right for this particular model yeah from the outside the Differences are very small. You can see the uh, there's a slightly reprofiled front bumper in the pictures here, and there is new rear lights as well, which have more sort of horseshoe shaped light signature. But the big difference is inside, and that's where most of the screaming and shouting and stuff is going on, because as well as dropping the seat twenty mil, which I think is a has a knock on effect, which is quite a lot because you have to sort of I think that pretty much means you have to sort of redo crash testing and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Dropping the seat height is is a big deal. They've done that by turning me up, but they've also then put in a new dashboard. And the new dashboard has all the same bits as the old dashboard. It's just that instead of being kind of spread out across the width of the vehicle and sort of being direction generic, it is now all pointed towards the driver. But it is all pointed towards the driver on a big flat slab. And people either love that or hate that. Frankly, this is one of those cars that if you're complaining about the looks of the dashboard, you're missing the point of the whole darned
1: car. Ah, oh, it's good to know when Alan has opinions.
0: <laughs> this is not a car that... Ah, oh, there's going to be... Oh, there's some hard plastics. Of course there are yes, hard have plastics. We, have you scratched it's the the dash seg- yet, Alan? Come on. It's based on a B-segment hatchback. What do you expect? It's not about the dashboard and stuff. It's about, I mean, it may well be that they've had to do it for homologation reasons to make it easier for them to have big flat dashboards in the rally cars. But
1: um, it'd be interesting to see what tweaks they've done to the, uh, the, what changes the tweaks they've made have made to the driving dynamics as well.
0: The other thing that's not as obvious here is the almost vertical handbrake, almost as if it's there so that people are more likely to grab onto it to make the car turn more quickly. Lots of bits and pieces like that. It seems that they've sort of gone off, Listen to people.
1: By that statement, you're encouraging fun because you know you're not meant to do that with cars.
0: I know. The thing is they also add a cooling package which will see an intercooler sprayer system adding with motorsports use in mind. Are you sure that counts as fun? Surely that's for when you're sitting in traffic polluting the world.
1: <laughs> Price at the moment is $29,995. Uh, that's expected to rise, obviously. But how much? Not sure. Probably just only a little bit. Still a bargain, folks. It is still a bargain. If you can get your
0: hands on one, it's still a bargain. Or mm-hmm. well, do you want to stick with Japan? Yes, generally. Honda. Honda has previewed a new era of EVs. This is at CVS, obviously, uh, with a radical Zero Series saloon, which could reach production in 2026, says Evo Magazine. And it wedge wood-shaped. It is supposedly lightweight, despite the fact that it looks massive. And, of course, it's electric because you don't unveil petrol-powered things at CES. It's a concept car. It looks like
1: something I scribbled in the margins of my jotters at school. It looked like something that they brought out, I think it was in 2012, and they've just tweaked ever so slightly with a slightly different lighting design. But basically, it's exactly the same in profile and looks. It's not an unfamiliar concept car in general.
0: (laughs) It has a dedicated EV platform, a conservative approach to battery sizing, hopefully not quite as conservative approach to battery sizing as Honda have done in the past. Yeah, you know, there'll be floor mounted. What's interesting is it's an EV which doesn't look like an SUV. It is very low and slim. That's kind of it really. No nope. I mean there's there's cool lights, there's an animated screen between the, the lower grille light bit, which is not it's cool. I, I really like it. It's a really cool concept car. I it's so much better looking than anything else that Honda other than the E has in production today. How much of it do I think, I, I don't, I'm not going to put money on that being launched in the next little while and nobody really has. Vaporware. Nobody's really saying, but it's, it's from 2026 there's going to be a new wave of Honda EVs.
1: Honestly, think it's total vaporware and it's it's a reaction to the reaction at the Tokyo Mobility Show or Japan Mobility mm-hmm. Show, sorry, yeah. where most of the car, cars that were brought out or at least two of the brands, Honda and Nissan, just looked like they were completely out of ideas mm-hmm. and cobbled some stuff together without yeah, a yeah, coherent story. True. I mean, even though Nissan's was with, this is a tie-in with the Fortnite game, that was the coherent mm. story. But yeah. this will never get made. I don't believe it will. It's, they have literally gone into the back of the warehouse and gone, oh, we've got this already. Let's just take the wing mirrors off, put some fancy LEDs around the front and the back. And I mean, I love the lighting at the back of the car. Yeah, I love that lighting. I think that looks stunning. But none of it will ever make it to the road, which makes me cross with Honda. They should be—they should be much better at this by now.
0: You would have thought so, wouldn't you? Um, CES, by the way, a really bad place to show off cars. Well, it depends who you are. It's a bad place because it is a B two B show. It is not a consumer
1: show. I think. I think the car industry were flat this year. There, flat. There was nothing really exciting, was there? Not really. People generally commented that that they didn't
0: think, and this included journos who would generally been taken. There to see stuff that it was that it was not a good platform for car manufacturers because everything got diluted by all the other stuff that was there.
1: Mm. And maybe so then maybe to my earlier slightly mocking point, maybe Detroit is right to come back.
0: It is, and it would be slightly before. Honestly, depending on what
1: happens, I would try and make a point
0: of going to Detroit next year if that's happening. Mm. That's happening in January.
1: Anyway, I'm going to take us to well, still CES, but China. And this is the news that group company BYD and their market brand, brace yourself, Yang Wang, have revealed their first production car. I'm not kidding. You have to click the link in the show notes because you will see Yang Wang.
0: <laughs> it is genuinely called Yang Wang. Right? Yes, it, it's one of those ones which I think they may decide to change for export markets. Yes,
1: it might come out as YW or something when it gets yeah. over here. Uh, They have revealed their third production car, which is a 1,000 brake horsepower plus luxury saloon aimed at the i5 and the Mercedes-Benz EQE. (sighs) Have we not got over the pant-wetting about 1,000 brake horsepower electric vehicles Oh, I'm so
0: bored of it. Just 1,000 brake horsepower vehicles
1: in general. I'm just bored of it. Yeah, well done. It was an amazing technological feat originally. But now it feels like oh I can't announce anything unless we say it is this and it's just it's lost all impact. They're saying that this car could be an EV or a range extender, and that's the two options. They have not announced the dimensions, but according to this article from Greg Cable, so therefore I trust it. The Chinese report suggests it's 5.2 meters long and two meters wide. If it does, I mean even in the pictures it does look quite wide it is a big old hector yes but they claim the area is going to be the uh, most aerodynamic efficient car or one of the cars to enter production this is i'm lining alan up here to bring out his thing about cds in a minute with a drag coefficient that betters the i5 and eqe at 0.195 cd that's very good now remember that the actual thing that
0: matters and i wasn't going to say this but he just prompted me into it is the cda which is that Drag coefficient multiplied by the frontal area. Obviously, if you have a little car with that kind of drag coefficient, very efficient at all. Uh, if you have a big car, then it is much harder. Yeah, It's not be all and end all. This is quite good looking. The front lights are a bit weird and fussy. It's quite good looking in a generic big saloon way. I think it's probably a, possibly a competitor for someone like Lucid.
1: Mm-hmm. I can see the BYD Dolphin in this, in the front end anyway.
0: Yes. It's a decent looking thing. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's another generic. Uh, inoffensive. Generic, perfectly pleasant, inoffensive, probably very good at what it does, EV. Mm. Ta-da!
1: But it is a car.
0: It's, it's a car. It's very much a car. Which is good. Yeah. No. Kia. Kia, uh, back to CES uh, again, I'm afraid. There's another three stories from CES, including this one. Here unveiled a range of vans called the PV1, PV5, and the PV7, and they cross a whole sort of range of sizes from smaller than a sort of Fiesta, whatever, Transit Connect is a little one, isn't it, mm. up to Transit size. They all look kind of funky and kind of futuristic. They are, of course, all EV. They must be pretty serious about this because they did ship a whole bunch of people out to Vegas to see these uh, and to to be introduced to the concepts behind them. As I say, there's different versions and different sizes. There's passenger versions that are more MPV and sort of Volkswagen. um, I want to say
1: Caravelle, but it's not that, is it?
0: It's not. It's not. I'm thinking about the electric
1: one. Oh, the ID Buzz. The
0: The transporter size uh, or ID Buzz, a bit bigger than ID Buzz, i think yeah sizes and they're in that kind of range that's the sort of core of it there's a smaller one the smallest one is a bit bigger than a Citroen ami and the bigger one as i say is, is proper transit size it's very awesome mm. the other thing they introduced as part of that so there's some numbers around dimensions and stuff which is sort of pretty obscure I'm not really going to go into them the other thing that they unveiled as part of this was a whole a whole sort of palletization modularity of stuff that goes in the back of them and that's the bit that is, it's called platform beyond vehicle. And well, that's the whole business bit, hence they're also PV, aren't they? But the actual smallest level, it's a whole load of sort of modular pallets and boxes and stuff. Challenge with that is for that to work. Everybody has to be in the same ecosystem mm. and expecting the same sizes and the same behaviors. And that's why pallets work. That's why the Euro pallet is so flipping common in across Europe and most of the world. It's how the container. In its 20 foot and 40 foot variants, are are so, I've already talked about them, but they are everywhere apart from where you need them to be uh, around the world and their modularity and stuff. And the challenge here is the extension to show, to make everything that Kia talked about requires uh, a new palletization, essentially. But if the core of this can come out and be implemented, then this could be a very strong contender in the. In in the the
1: European van world. I like the vans. When you step away from the vans and you start getting into the ecosystem surrounding it, because they're they're talking Mm. about how they want to do vehicle to infrastructure, connectivity, all these other sort of smart city stuff and how they could be used to help people, cities, goods get around all control centrally and all this sort of stuff. That's where it starts to go a bit too left field for me that I don't trust that to happen. I love that. I love the idea of it. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. For it to work, you have to be building your own
0: city from scratch. Yeah. They, just because it's, it's the whole system. To be honest, we, we're back to the e-factory thing. Mm. It's the whole system has to be designed to work together. And you can't get that by just bolting it on. No. Of course, in Kore- in Korea, you know in Korea, it is much easier. And in the Middle East, it's much easier. So you see that plot of land there? We're going to build a city there. That's what we're going to do. And hey, look, we're going to work with Samsung, Hyundai, Kia. Choose your large Korean top to bottom vertically integrated conglomerate at will. And we're going to do that. You know, you're going to buy your, your, your Hyundai house and your Kia van and you travel to work at Samsung.
1: Yeah, it's all going to work on the Samsung Android platform.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. Whole ecosystem is being developed by a company called SuperNOW, which is looking at the mobility possibilities that could be available, while Boston Dynamics is looking at what could be done with robotics. Always makes me happy that Boston Dynamics is on the other side of Boston, so I've got this buffer zone and all the robots start to in- invade. They freak me out. Uh, anyway, that's enough on that one, I think. Really, really interesting, though. I actually love that idea. I just sound a little bit Andrew-y about whether or not it's going to going to be implementable.
1: No, but at least the van's are good looking and look like they will do what they are intended to do
0: there'll be the bit of this that, that's real the mid and the large size vans i think everything else is probably an extrapolation from that. Mm. which by the way is the right thing for ces yes if you're a car company and you're going to ces this is the kind of thing you take to ces you don't take let's have more infotainment screens and you don't do what
1: volkswagen did yeah the volkswagen announced that they are going to add ChatGPT voice assistant to their operating system. And they claim that it is more than a gimmick, Sigh. So <laughs> this has been demonstrated uh, at CES. They, they allow people to sit in there and try and use the system. They have uh, their own system's name on the top of it, but what's running it underneath is the ChatGPT OpenAI built system that is supposedly artificial intelligence, but is actually just a large language model that is regurgitating whatever's in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't the only company to do this, but we'll get on, we'll, we'll touch that uh, in just a minute. But some people may have seen me get a little bit antsy on social media uh, whenever chat GPT comes up, particularly if it's talking about adding it into cars. So I just want to Uh, quickly run through, and this will be quick everybody, don't worry, because more for, I feel sorry for Alan, than anything because he gets at least six or seven times the amount of this in our Slack channel. I'd just like to point out, he has actually written down his points so he doesn't go waffling off
0: on a big long rant and he said, could you check through my points to make sure that they're reasonable first? I just want to set you up for this, (laughs) that this is not an Andrew rant, this is actually considered and, and, and thought through.
1: Yeah, there are Roughly six high-level reasons why adding chat GPT, AI, large language models to cars is a very bad idea, and it's got nothing to do with the silly "Oh, AI's about to kill us!"." So I'll run through them quickly here, and these are in no particular order. But one of them is eugenics. Now why am I bringing up eugenics? Because eugenics is defined as the arrangement of human reproduction to increase heritable characteristics regarded as desirable, according to the Oxford Dictionary. Wikipedia goes further by stating that this includes excluding people and groups deemed to be inferior or promoting those judged to be superior. Why am I bringing this up? Because a lot of the people who are vocal, prominent, investing and pushing chat GPT type stuff, large language models to be used, believe in eugenics. And there is lots of examples of them saying the stuff that shows they believe in eugenics, they believe in bias, they believe in superiority. That is inbuilt into these systems from the start. It's all wrapped up in this term called long-termism as well, which is, I'm not going to go into because that's a whole host of other things, but that is really, really ungood for us mere mortals, especially for women and especially for people of color. So that's high level number one. Second, there's the legal issues. Currently, there are several high-profile legal cases regarding how large language models or LLMs have had the data they're trained on acquired. This brings out the very real risk that those using ChatGPT, especially those looking to profit from its use, hello car companies, will also be sued. Yeah. Then we can go on to environmental impact.
0: This is one that really gets me generally, by the way. I was so glad when I was scrolling through these. I was looking through this yesterday. I was so pleased that you'd included this because I thought if he hasn't included the environmental impact, I'm going to have to go, can we add that in? <laughs> Honestly, for every silly picture that you make, it's just the back end. On you go, on you go, because you've read, you've scripted
1: this and I haven't. To enable AI and the chatbots to work, there needs to be large amounts of electricity and water. The electricity is to run the data centers and the water is to keep them cool. Not many people know that that's what is needed that they need to be kept cool as well. It's not just a little fan in the back of your PC.
0: It's ruddy great computers are working on. Gure needs to make a picture of a collie dog look more Scottish. Yes. Okay?
1: <laughs> Stop it. So there's, like, oh. there's estimations that for ChatGPT3, it used 3.5 million litres of water to train. And that's only if it happened in one of the efficient US data centres. If it was in Asia then the estimate is 5 million litres. Roughly, for every 20 questions that the system is asked, it requires 500 millilitres of water to cool it. So that's one of your single-use water bottles that you buy in the shop. To train ChatGPT, it is estimated it took 1,287 megawatts. It
0: was megawatt hours just before anybody goes, how could that possibly be the case, megawatt hours? Sorry, megawatt hours, yeah. That's 1,287 hours of a generator running at one megawatt. However, that's powered. Yeah.
1: That's a, quite a lot. 550 tons of CO2 emissions, which equates to, in the, one of the articles that I linked in the show notes, to 550 times from New York to Los Angeles in a jet. <laughs> that makes the cars look positively environmentally friendly in comparison. Yeah. We then move on to worker exploitation. Now, LLMs require a lot of hidden, they're called hidden workers, who are asked to, or Yes, asked because they're employed in the loosest sense. They are asked to (laughs) label, categorize, and assign images and language correctly. This job is done mainly by those in developing countries in gig economy type jobs. The workers are paid per task. So you label something, that's your task, and they get pennies per label. Mm -hmm. They have in the region of 50 seconds to correctly label. So they've got very strict timescales to do this, and they are punished if they fail to meet these um, requirements, which are watched by an automated system.
0: Imagine having to sit and do the sort of identify everything
1: that's a bus type things nonstop. Yes. Then we can get on to just randomly the poor results that come out of these systems because that brings up the quality. We've all seen and laughed at the silly and flat out wrong results that have been regurgitated. And there's the old adage of garbage in, garbage out, which is unfortunately here underplaying the situation. The results, because of the models themselves, are full of bias, discrimination, inaccuracy, and actual danger. Uh, There is a grocery store in New Zealand that produced a recipe book that it thought would be helpful for people who were struggling financially. Some of the ingredients are actually poisonous. So they had to withdraw that and get everybody to uh, delete it. I laughed heartily when I saw the CEO of Skoda demonstrating their version of ChatGPT in the car by asking it to give him the recipe for spaghetti carbonara so he could pick up some of the ingredients. <laughs> I mean, from a PR point of view, I am flabbergasted because that was a very well known issue that would have taken them seconds to find if anybody had researched it.
0: And you can also poison the, you know, people can poison the input to the model. Yes. To then make them almost always give you bad results. That was a tweet I linked to, I was going to say yesterday, Monday evening, from Father Robert Palliser, who's a Jesuit IT guy, who's well worth following, by the way, on Twitter, podcast, etc. And he was saying about that, he was chatting briefly about the the danger of of poisoning AI models, mm. and it's one of the things that you've you've got to look out for as bad mm. actors and doing that. And of course, if the AI is marking itself, a bit like the Welsh government, then it doesn't know what's good or what's bad. No. You say everything I'm about to tell you is good, and it goes, oh, is this all this stuff's good? You know, yeah. and it, it just it it is for a dangerous point of view there. Anyway, let's move on to some of the commercials, Andrew.
1: Yeah, so OpenAI has some terms and conditions you'll be unsurprised to hear uh, and they make very interesting reading for example I wonder how the OEMs are going to ensure that no under 18s use the chatbot because that's against their rules how will they communicate so that anyone in their vehicles doesn't contravene open AI's rules if your kid
0: asks it to ask it to play a song in the back seat, you've contravened the T's and C's exactly therefore if something bad happens it's not OpenAI's fault ergo it's also they're not going to be the manufacturer's fault
1: yep <sighs> How are they going to communicate, the car manufacturers going to communicate that every single interaction with the system is taken, it's recorded, and used to populate and, and <laughs> improve OpenAI's offerings?
0: Which goes back to some of the thing that you said earlier on about data centers and where everything is being computed, yep. and some of the data regulations around the globe, around where stuff is meant to be stored if you're a resident of such and such a country
1: yeah if these systems are so good why is the nhs banned its use with any sensitive information yeah that's a question everybody needs to consider in conclusion i think any one of those points outlined those high level points of the six should make one pause before using such a system all of them should mean that you don't use it and you certainly don't add it to your cars and give it to your customers There's going to be a lot of links in the show notes for pieces for you to delve further into and the points raised so you can read further around it if that's of interest. What I truly hope is any motoring journalist listening will now begin to ask some very hard questions of the car industry. Mm -hmm. You're armed with information now. You probably weren't before and you've got the knowledge to start pushing back because this is beyond daft.
0: You all know, hopefully, if you're a regular listener or anything, then I am the first to join the queue and accuse Andrew of being a tinfoil-hatted paranoid, he's right. Okay, I I can't disagree with any of that. I went into that thinking I hope he's covered this point, this point, and this point, expecting to add to it. Those uh, I don't want to classify that as an Andrew rant because it really isn't an Andrew rant. It it is. It, it's stuff you should know that I don't think anywhere makes particularly clear in one place. And I know we're a motoring podcast, but that's really all about stuff in general. That's that's really about. IT and the way that some of the IT and tech is going in general, do be aware. Everything went from NFTs magically into AI, and it went from, and and it went to NFTs after all of the self-driving car stuff, which seems to have pretty much died off. Be aware, right at the minute, GPT is the next big thing. It is at the peak of the hype cycle, mm. and it it's just be very aware of it, and aware that it's out there and where it's being used. If you want shows of it, you know people not implementing it right and all sorts of stuff. There is that really good story that's on Business Insider about uh, about the Chevy dealer <laughs> yeah. and uh, the Chevy dealer chatbot, essentially agreeing to sell a car for one dollar because and you know the guy who did it didn't didn't hold them to it, of course, but because he discovered that there was this was a backdoor and and he trained it to agree to anything he said, no matter how ridiculous it was including the words at the end, oh, this is a legally blinding deal, no tixi baxies which he was doing for his own amusement and to see if it would actually agree to it so that he could then warn them. But do be aware of these things. Anyway, let's move on because this is a very long show this week. Yeah. And we're almost done. One last little bit of silliness. Mercedes-Benz basically is trying to turn your entire car into a screen. (laughs) Yes. Physical buttons? No. Seventeen different screens. I'm, I'm exaggerating. Three different massive screens facing the driver and passenger. On you go. Yeah. Which does beg the question about what, how distracting is distracting, and mm. how many screens and other silly things can you have without something being defined as a distraction in in a car? Yeah, they want seamless screens right across the dashboard. What's most of that landscape going to be being used for?
1: Adverts before too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Because yes. if there's a screen, exactly. someone goes, we must put an advert in there.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only my of time. I mean, I'm... gee whiz. Anyone who's filled up with fuel in the US will be aware of the awfulness of gas pump
1: TV. Uh, Mercedes also go on and proudly boast about how their testing of chat GPT is now stepping up and they're going to it. I was tomorrow. just ignoring that. I thought we'd covered that. Uh, see previous explanation of why that's a bad idea and then uh, choose how much you believe the future is like this from Mercedes.
0: The future's bright, the future's many, many screens, and a lot of uh, mood lighting. Mm. Speaking of moods, though, uh, designer's mood board uh, this week, Andrew, a very quick and surprising one. Yeah,
1: this was very much a surprise that Massimo Fraschella is leaving JLR. He was the design director of JLR, and he's brought to fruition or headed the teams that brought to fruition the latest Range Rover I think the Range Rover Sport as well as the Defender um, mm-hmm. so he's, he's mm-hmm. helped develop a new design language for JLR and I, I'm uh, I'm not I don't know why this is happening I'm suspicious as to the sudden announcement at the same time though there are unconfirmed reports
0: that his, his other half And the current director of materiality, I don't know, director better at JLR, it will also be leaving the company. He's been there since 2011. He's been there for quite a while, Mm. but there's a whole bunch of new projects coming through with JLR that you'd think you'd want to stick around and see launched before going off to somewhere else. He's either been lured away, someone is saying that he's going to Tata instead, but you would think that that would just be an internal transfer rather
1: than a big... New opportunities type. Well, I think they'd happily say, type, if he was type going to talk well, to you? he's going to our, one of our sister brands to help them or something like that. But this so, is very yeah, so the I way don't. it's been reported from JLR makes me a little bit suspicious. I hope I'm wrong, but... Good luck wherever he goes, yeah. by the way. Look forward to seeing... I, I, seeing I, I really like the Defender. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a cracking up thing. The vehicle. more I see them, the better. Even the 130,
0: which everyone said looks really long and stuff. Now that I look at it, it actually has the same proportions as the old 110 does with that long i think it suits the longer overhang it's too big for anything that i'd want but more and more i'm looking at the little 90s and going those are cool mm. i like those and people seem to be buying them more traditional trim levels and less in i am a drug dealer <laughs> trim levels <laughs> uh and they look all the better for it yeah
1: they do look better without the fake side pods and steps oh yeah
0: i think that was so
1: distracting i think so try hard yeah yeah anyway do you want to take us to uh points of interest and the lunchtime read today's
0: lunchtime read or this week's lunchtime read is from design the uh, design and architecture website which has always got something interesting on it whether it's car related or not it's an article by james mclaughlin that was published on the 9th of january and it is titled the Cybertruck encapsulates a dystopian future vision where the United States is sliding into lawlessness, which is easy for you to say. So <laughs> is a lot of good points. Here's the editor of Car Design News.
1: And it's... It does paint quite a compelling argument to that statement.
0: If you have
1: that vision that you're always scared
0: of things, that you're always... That there is... You know, a, battle. Out to Everything. your head a battle. Everything's a battle. I must win.
1: Bulletproof,
0: window, you know, draw. Horror. Ah, oh, pointy bits don't care about people outside the vehicle. Only people inside the vehicle. If you're that kind of person, then that's why you would kind of want a cyber truck. Really, mm. the world is against you.
1: This very much Paranoia ties is in with the last looking out video we've recommended their work in the past. Whether it's the newsletter, this is Drew Smith and Joe Simpson, and they talk about the cyber truck and they do discuss along this lines of what does this actually signify for society or at least phony stark's vision of it and who will he attract etc it's a really good video which i will link in the show notes as well so you get an additional additional extra lunchtime watch i've been and i've seen one in the flesh all the steel and it's it's not as bad
0: as i was expecting but that is not a high bar (laughs) The bar was actually high enough that by the end of it, the bar had been moved high enough that I could actually trip over it, rather than it being submerged in the concrete. And it's it's ruddy grim, quite frankly. Mm. And what it potentially says as well, what it uh, it's what it what it says about you and your opinion and 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 stuff. Where even something like the GMC Sierra HD or whatever, which is big and chromed and square and pickup like, there's a certain amount of it, it's not. It's many things, but it's not dystopian, believe it or not. I know loads of people do. You know, if my child was sniffing the badge and somebody started moving it, they'd get run over. Yes, they probably would because they shouldn't be ruddy doing it. And you know, there's there's many flaws in those big pickup trucks Mm. from a social point of view, but they do have a utility, they do have a use, they do have a place. It might have evolved out of that Mm. utility and place, but they're still there. It's still there, and and they're big and they're blingy and they're. To an extent, they're a celebration. I know that sounds weird and a bit nuts, but they are a celebration of
1: Americanness. Yeah, yeah.
0: and This is just, this is a celebration of paranoia mm. that I have trouble with. Yeah. I really do.
1: Yeah. Do click the link in the show notes, the links in the show notes, because the article's excellent, but also that video from Looking Out is very good as well. And do sign up to their newsletter. Right, I'm going to take us to the list of the week, and this is the 60 most beautiful cars ever made as a complete palette cleanser Thank from goodness. what we've just it, been talking about. It really about. is.
0: It's, I am sitting... It, it is It is like a very pleasant... I don't want to say eye bleach because that sounds like it's really doing doing you harm, but it, it's not. It's not eye bleach at, at all. It is It is a soothing, beautiful thing to look at. Okay, 60. 60. We've got one room for one
1: each. Then, yeah, definitely. Uh, and just to say... I found a few of the options that were put forward, as we always do from these things, quite challenging to call beautiful. Maybe good-looking and maybe striking, but I struggled with beautiful. Mm-hmm. My choice, mm. because you're about to ask me, mm-hmm. is the
0: Bugatti Type 35. I was so pleased to see this was on the list. I have thought this for years. that This is the most beautiful car on so many levels because it's so far ahead of its time. It's number twenty eight for those of you following along at home. that's slide thirty four in your handout okay,
1: just trying to get to it.
0: <laughs> yes, I assumed that i thought I'll, i thought he's he's clicking like mad here i'm going i'm going to give him a, give him a hint uh but I've just always thought that that is beautiful if you ever go to the Schlumpf collection at the mus- uh, the um at the i forgot the name of it what the actual name of the museum is these days, but it's the Schlumpf collection at the center of it there there is an array of these. They are the most beautiful things. Those alloy wheels, that grille, just everything about them. And they were built to be a race car and a very successful race car indeed. I just love those. Any of the newer Bugattis, and I mean by newer, I mean later in the 1920s and into the 1930s, are a bit much. Modern ones, definitely a bit much for me. But these are pretty damn close to
1: perfection, to be honest. I've waffled a lot. Andrew, what's yours? Well, there was two that really leapt out for me, and I'm not going to pick the one I was probably going to initially. So I'm going to go with the 1959 Ferrari 250 GTO short wheelbase. Are you sure that's not just a BMW Z3? (laughs) Wow. No, I'm
0: very sure. (laughs) There's some great choices in there in this slideshow, by the way. Um, it is well worth refreshing the page and trying to get the slideshow to reboot when you need to, and um, there's some great stuff.
1: Right before you waffle on and name all of them, what's the uh, and finally, Alan?
0: And finally, this week is Major Gav. That's uh, Gavin Big Surname. He's back. He's posted new videos on uh, a new video on Petrol Blog, which is great. He's up to some other bits, some some bits and pieces, and he's going to share them with us, which is wonderful because I. I miss Cal. Yeah, very much. He is a lovely, lovely chap who's always happy to help and and chat and whatever else. Um, and sometimes he just gets too darned busy to do YouTubey stuff and his own his own stuff. Obviously, you could still, I believe, follow lots of what he what he likes with the uh, retro, modern, classic.
1: Yeah, petrol blog. The website has been refreshed as well, and there is a store with various stickers and things you can buy from there. So that's uh, that looks all good. And there is also. Um, so we're linking to a, a video about his Toyota Camry mm-hmm. uh, and getting it for an MOT but there is if you go to the channel itself there is a, a, a little announcement video just to say what's been happening what he hopes to do going forward but I'm just delighted he's able to produce something that we could all see mm-hmm. despite what he says about it Yeah, always good.
0: That's it parish notes Lexus GX staying the other week thing special <laughs> edition. Ah if anyone oh, would like week. to
1: sign up to our six-week email course on how to do marketing and PR.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did a thing the other week. Go go, listen to it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, about Lexus, kind of.
1: Just after you abuse Major Gov for how he talks about his own stuff. <laughs> I know we are at least as bad sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, we,
0: we put stuff out more regularly than Gav does, but when it comes to self-marketing, we are down there with him. <laughs> Let me move into the final marketing message of the podcast. To remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of MotoringPodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Actually, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, feedback on GPT, chat GPT, AI, all that kind of thing, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, Best way is probably Twitter or Mastodon. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you and put commiserations directly to you for having to put up with me, what is the best way for them (laughs) to do that?
0: Uh, You can do that best way. I'm either Twitter or Blue Sky, uh, personally, refusing to call it X still. I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We will be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.